0: Kings (laughs) chapter 10. He's not gonna watch this, you're all right. Two Kings chapter 10. We are on our next, um, our next king. Um, I read a story, um, this week uh, about an article about Queen Mary, um, who made it her practice to visit Scotland every year, Uh, and she was so loved by the people there that she often mingled with the people um, without the need of any form of escort. And one afternoon, while walking with some children, um, she went out further than planned, and dark clouds came up in, unexpectedly, um, and she stopped at a house to borrow an umbrella. If you will lend me one, she said to the lady who wants the oh, do, I'll send it back to you tomorrow. The woman didn't recognize the queen, because she had a disguise on um, and uh, a covering over her face. Uh, And some plain clothes. So the household was reluctant to lend an umbrella to a complete stranger. So she went up into an attic, found a tattered, broken umbrella uh, that didn't quite work properly. And she handed that to to Queen Mary. The next day, there was another knock on the door. And the lady opened it, and she was greeted by a royal guard holding the umbrella. Uh, The queen sent me, he said. She asked me to thank you for loaning her this. The moment the woman was stunned and then burst into tears. What an opportunity I missed. I didn't give the queen my very best. And when I read that story, I was reminded of the king that we're going to look at today. We kind of talked about him a little bit last week. Um, If you remember, again, I'm not going to go through these. Um, each week, because it would just take too long. But we mentioned him last week, because he um, was the one who killed Ahaziah and Jehoram. Um, Now, Jehoram, if you remember, um, and Ahaziah were sons of Ahab, Ahab being the son of Omri. And Elisha told Jehu, um, he was anointed to be the next king. He told Jehu that you are going to be used Uh, in judgment against the house of Omri, against the house of Ahab, because of the wickedness that Ahab and Jezebel had caused in the land. And you are literally going to destroy that family as a form of judgment. So Jehu was used by the Lord in this regard, but he was a king of contradictions. Because he seemed to serve the Lord on one hand, and yet, by some of the other things that he did, he contradicted the very actions that he took when he came to serving the Lord. It'll become a little bit clearer as we look at Jehu, the king of contradictions. And in 2 Kings chapter 10, we'll read the, uh, the last part of the chapter. Like I say, uh, in, in, in chapter 9, Jehu is anointed to be the king of Israel, and then in um, Uh, Chapter 9, again, we see Jehu kill Jehoram and Ahaziah. And we kind of looked at that a little bit last week when we looked at King Ahaziah. Then we see um, Jehu kill um, Jezebel. And, of course, all of God's um, judgment and Elisha's prophecy come to pass exactly uh, at the hand of Jehu. And then um, we see uh, Jehu destroy um, the worship of Baal. And we're going to pick up our reading in verse um, 26. Uh, they brought forth the images um, out of the house of Baal and burned them. And they break down the image of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a draught house. And to this day, basically made it a toilet, effectively. Um, this, uh, Thus, Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. And you think, wow, praise the Lord. Jehu has got rid of Baal worship. Wonderful. Howbeit, from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them to wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel, and that were in Dan. And the Lord said unto Jehu, because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab, according to all that was in my heart, uh, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And you think, brilliant. Brilliant. Jehu is going to turn a corner here he's going to be a godly king. But, but Jehu took no heed to walk in the Lord of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. In those days the Lord began to cut Israel short, and Hazael smote them in all the coasts of Israel. From Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites and the Reubenites and the Manassites, from Aurora, which is by the river Arnon, even Gilead and Bashan. Now the rest of the acts of Jehu and all that he did and all of his might... Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehu slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. And Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his stead. And the time that Jehu reigned over Israel in Samaria was 28 years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together today, and for this opportunity to come around you a word. And Lord, we pray um, that our life wouldn't be one of contradiction. Father, we pray that our, our talk and our walk would match perfectly with what your word says. Father, I pray that we would not be hypocritical in our lives as believers. I pray that our speech wouldn't betray our, our witness and our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize the importance of a godly testimony in such an ungodly world today. So Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts as we look at yet another bad king. And I pray that we would learn from his wicked examples that we might avoid these pitfalls in our lives and that we might serve you and worship you as we should and as you deserve. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Jehu has done all that God has commanded him. Um, He was told that he was going to be used to wipe out Ahab, to get rid of Jezebel, uh, to get rid of Ahab's um, sons. Ahab's already dead at this point, but to get rid of Ahab's sons, to get rid of Jezebel. uh, And he's been used to bring that prophecy to pass. So all of Ahab's descendants are dead. And it appears that he's even got rid of the Baal worshippers. And the first thing we see is the destruction of the idols. So everything that Ahab and Jezebel had set up in Israel and had established in Israel, um, Jehu destroys. They bring out the idols uh, from the house of Baal and they burnt them. The Baal worshippers are destroyed. The images and the idols of the temple are burnt, and the temple of uh, Baal was levelled. And it said they would use it as a draught house, and that literally means a toilet, a latrine. Um, and uh, some commentators said that it was a, a you know, a, a complete insult um, to uh, use. We think about it: if, if this church was suddenly turned into a, like a public lavatory. And you would think, oh, my days, you know, what a a waste, what a mess. Um, But Jehu just accomplished all that Elisha uh, had um, had told him would happen. And Baal worship was destroyed in Israel. And you think, great. But here's the contradiction. Baal worship was destroyed. And it says then, uh, and you think, great. But it says thus, Jehu... Destroyed Baal out of Israel. albeit he did not return to worship in the Lord. He did not return to giving God the proper place in his in his life and in the nation of Israel. He'd been zealous in doing what God had commanded him to do because it fitted his. Um, it, it fitted his. Um, agenda, itinerary, I wanted to say. Uh, it fitted his agenda. It fitted perfectly into what Jehu wanted to accomplish because with uh, all of his, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of people who could uh, get the throne from him, with all of those gone, with his enemies dis- um, destroyed, nothing could touch him. Um, so it suited his agenda to get rid of Baal worship. Howbeit. The contradiction is, instead, you just simply replace one form of idol worship with another form of idol worship. You know, sometimes when we kind of get a victory in one area of our lives, we kind of like, oh, praise the Lord, I've kind of conquered that particular sin, but we simply replace it then with another sin, Um, and and you think, well, there wasn't really any victory then in conquering this particular aspect of our life if we just replaced it. With another aspect uh, of a life. Sin in a different kind of guise or form. And Jehu was just one big contradiction. And you know you go back to those golden calves when they came out of Egypt. How damaging they were. You know we've said time and time again that it was easier for God to get Israel out of Egypt. Than it was to get Egypt out of Israel. They are still stumbling over these calves. Um, You know, and uh, they wanted something to see in order to worship. Uh, And and it's incredible that the addictions of this idolatry were like chains uh, around the necks of Israel. But the chains were so small and so finite that they couldn't see them. And they didn't realize that what they were worshiping as their Savior was actually destroying them. You know, sometimes some of the sins that we allow to creep into our lives, so we think, are, uh, you know, okay, makes us feel comfortable. Uh, and, you know, it's not hurting anybody. It's actually destroying our witness before the Lord. It's actually destroying our testimony. And ultimately, it could even be destroying our own health. You know, it's incredible the influence that the the image of the bull had um, in the world in this day. You know, the pharaohs of Egypt were considered as the bull of bulls. In Egypt, Babylon and Phoenicia, the bull was considered as a sacred god, an emblem of strength and fertility. Jehu was meant to be zealous for the Lord, but he's resurrecting a sin that Jeroboam had committed when he first established the northern kingdom of Israel. Baal worship was linked to Ahab and Jezebel, but the worship of the golden calves was linked back to Jeroboam. Um, And the calves were considered as the visible emblem of God. So it's almost as if Jehu says, okay, I recognize that God has done this, But I don't want to fully commit to worshiping the Lord as Jehovah. I don't really want the people to go back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord the three times a year that they meant to go back. So we've kind of come halfway. The bulls represented God in in Exodus because that's what the people said. They recognized that God brought them out of Egypt, but they wanted to see Him so that they could worship Him. And that's when Aaron came up with the calves. But I think... Uh, Again, Jehu's motives were simply for his own benefit. If he allowed people to go back to Judah, to Jerusalem, to worship the Lord in the temple, there was a possibility that he could lose the foothold in the northern kingdom. Um, And he didn't want to lose that power. He was zealous for the Lord as long as it served his purpose. How many people are zealous for the Lord as long as it suits their purpose? You know, how many people will come to the prayer meeting and say, oh, we need to pray for this, 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 and this. And then they get that prayer answered and you don't see them in the prayer meeting anymore. You know, we're zealous for the Lord when it suits us, when it fits our purpose, but as long as it's not inconvenient for us. And you know, sometimes we need difficulties in our lives, because that's the very thing that keeps us close to the Lord. That's the very thing which keeps us uh, at the throne of grace. That's the very thing that keeps us on our knees. Jehu had an incredible opportunity to turn the whole nation. They got rid of Ahab and Jezebel and that wicked dynasty that had led the nation uh, so far from the Lord. He had an incredible opportunity to say, right, Israel, come on. We need to get back to the Lord. You can't deny that that God didn't speak to Jehu. God wasn't not working in the northern kingdom. You know, when you look at the prophets that the northern kingdom had in Elijah and Elisha, you could say that the Lord spoke a great deal to the northern kingdom through the prophets that he sent. Jehu was so close to doing something incredible for the Lord But his life was just one big contradiction. He lost the opportunity. He removed a hindrance from Israel, but he simply replaced it with another hindrance. He would have lost the respect of the godly remnant in the land. You know, you can imagine the excitement. Oh, he's got rid of Baal worship, he's got rid of the idols. Oh, here we go. We're waiting for a great awakening. We're waiting for a great revival. We're waiting for the nation to rise up once again with a godly leader and serve the Lord. And you can imagine the whole godly remnant of the northern kingdom of Israel going, ah, oh. so near, yet so far. He lost the opportunity to lead a, a revival and turn the people back to the Lord. He lost the opportunity, a potential to reunite the nations again uh, under the, uh, the, the banner of Jehovah God. He lost the opportunity of becoming a great king. And even after this, the Lord still gave him the opportunity to become a great king. William Barclay wrote this. He said, it is possible to be a follower of Jesus without being a disciple, to be a camp follower without being a soldier of the king, to be a hanger-on in some great work without pulling one's weight. Are we a distant follower of the Lord? Do we only serve the Lord when it suits our agenda, when there's something in it for us? when it fits in with our timescale. Jehu was on the right track, but he didn't go far enough. Jehu didn't try and turn his people back to the Lord. Jehu's work was ineffective. You know, if anybody who you know, has gone for um, a cancer surgery or you know, anything to be removed... You want to make sure they get it all out. You want a little bit of a left in there. You want it all gone. And you know, Jehu was like that. He kind of just removed some of the sin from Israel. He didn't get it all. And that sinful condition just grew back like a cancer. Romans 2.1 says that Paul said, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art the judgest, for when thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest dost the same things. Jehu found it easy to denounce sin in others while excusing the very same sin in his own life. And we looked at that at the, on the Sermon on the Mount, didn't we, when it came to judging others with an unrighteous and unjust judgment. Is an important principle here for Christian growth. Jehu removed a negative. Ahab, um, uh, Jehoram, Ahaziah, Jezebel. He removed a negative. Baal. But he did not replace these things with positives. He simply replaced them with a different kind of negative. Be careful. When you are getting rid of something that shouldn't be in your life, that you don't replace it with something that is pretty much the same thing, but just by a different name. Jehu was a contradiction when it came to the destruction of the idols. But we see Jehu's contradiction in the declaration of the Lord. In verse 30, the Lord said to Jehu, because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes and hast done unto the house of Ahab, according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. God commended Jehu in doing what he was assigned to do. If I could say Jehu was probably the best of the worst kings, um, you know, out of the... Um, The 19 kings in Israel, none of them were good. But Jehu was probably the best of a bad bunch. Um, He was the best of the worst, if that makes sense. Uh, He received a well done from the Lord. Um, The Lord said, because that was done well in executing the judgment against Ahab's house. So he he was rewarded with four generations to sit upon um, the throne. For the next hundred years, Jehu, Jehoahaz, Joash, and Jeroboam II, and Zechariah would reign. No other dynasty held the throne for more than three generations. You might say, well, hang on. Omri had Omri, Ahab, Ahaziah, and Jehoram. But Ahaziah and Jehoram were the same generation because they were brothers. So even Omri only had three generations upon the throne. No other dynasty would have as long on the throne uh, as, um, uh, as Jehu. And it's believed that um, Jehu's generations were limited because he didn't give 100% to the Lord. Can you imagine sometimes when we receive a blessing um, and we've received a blessing from the Lord even though we didn't deserve it, but we recognize in our heart's heart it was only half-hearted on our, heart, on our behalf. What if we'd given the Lord everything? How much more of a blessing would we have received? You know, Jehu kind of did what the Lord asked him to do, but not all that the Lord asked him to do, or all that Jehu could have done. And the Lord still blessed him with four generations on the throne. But can you imagine if Jehu had been sold out for the Lord? How much more of a blessing he would have received from the Lord? You know, you think sometimes a lot of us as believers, we have the right aim in life. Um, how many of you ever done archery? Anybody ever done archery? I hate it. It's, it's, I just couldn't do it. It's so, so, so stupid. When Joe and I were first caught, we went to H- Heatherden or Heatherden in Tenby and they had like a, you know, um, you could play golf and you could do archery and you could like shoot a little pelican. And we, we, uh, Joe absolutely destroyed me in archery. But I was never holding the bow right, so every time I let go, the string would literally tear the skin off my forearm. And it would absolutely kill. So I would kind of pull the bow back, and I would, I'd look like Robin Hood. Pull it straight back and just tickle my cheek. Yeah, I'd just let it go, just let it go. But it would hurt. So I had the, the right stance, and I had the right look, and I'd pull it back and I'd aim at the target, But I'd never be willing to let it go, just in case. Sometimes as believers, we've got the right aim, but we're not willing to take the shot, just in case. I don't really want to step out in faith, just in case God doesn't come through. I don't really want to give the Lord my all, just in case I get ridiculed by friends and family. I don't really want to uh, kind of bring this before the Lord, just in case He answers in a way. But I don't want him to. A lot of people have the right aim, but we're not willing, as it were, to take that shot. Jehu was one big contradiction. God said to him, well done, Jehu. And here's the contradiction. Jehu says in verse 31, but... So God said, well done, Jehu, because you've done this, I'm going to give you four generations to sit on the throne, but... Jehu took no heed to walk in the Lord of the Lord, God of Israel, with all of his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. This verse gets to the root of the problem of Jehu. He did not give any heed to walk in the Lord of the Lord with all of his heart. What you do with the Bible will determine what God does with you. It's as simple as that. Those that honor Him... He honors. If we draw close to him, he draws close to us. If we are obedient to his word, then we'll see the blessings of him in our lives. And it's that simple. But Jehu was not willing to walk with the Lord with all his heart. And that's what David said to Solomon in in, in, uh, I think it's 2 Kings 2 4, where he says to Solomon, Solomon, walk with the Lord with all your heart. And that's all Solomon needed to do. And that's all we need to do, is to walk with the Lord with all our heart. Might be 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 4, I think. Um, But yeah, so we are to walk with the Lord with all of our heart. But Jehu wouldn't do that. Hosea said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You know, the most damning thing in the church today is how many believers are unfamiliar with what the Bible says or even with what they believe. We are all meant to be students of the Word. It's not just the the preacher that's meant to study to show himself approved. We're all to read, heed, uh, and obey the Word of God. But Israel was destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Half-hearted Uh, half-heartedness or apathy towards the Lord will bring mistakes Hosea said their heart is divided now shall they be found faulty he shall break down their altars he shall spoil their image Uh, the, the word divided there means that they were literally fickle they were slipping they were deceitful God's people were unfaithful and slipping away from the Lord. And they were found faulty or they were found guilty. What we see in Christianity today is a people falling away from the Lord, slipping away from the Lord. Because we're not in the word of God. We would much rather listen to what somebody says online. We would much rather listen to what a TV host says. We would much rather listen to what a YouTube personality says rather than what God's word says. Listen, when you stand before the throne of God, and for those who are unsaved, when you stand before the great white throne judgment, it doesn't matter what YouTube personality said. It doesn't matter what social media influencers said. It only matters what you did with God's word. There's a half-heartedness in the church today. And Isaiah points out that when you develop a a half-hearted, callous attitude towards God's word, then you'll start to develop a rebellion in your heart. And This is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Jehu gave lip service to God. But he allowed idolatry and disobedience in his life. Jesus described a people who behave like this in Matthew 15. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and with me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Hey, listen, you can be active with the Lord, you can serve the Lord, you can be involved, and you can still not be surrendered to Him completely. You look at people like Demas, even Peter. You know, Peter followed the Lord afar off, but we see Peter then at the Satan's fire denying the Lord and even cursing his very name. We see Ananias and Sapphira, you know, they looked apart. part. I mean, they even sold a portion of their land to give as everybody else was doing, but they still weren't wholehearted in their walk or worship with the Lord. Outwardly, they looked perfect. The church at Sardis outwardly looked like the best church. But the Lord said, I know your works and you're dead. But they looked good. We can be active for the Lord, but still not be totally surrendered to the Lord. God's purpose for us as believers is to know Him and to do His will. How do we know Him? By spending time with Him. How do we spend time with Him? We spend time with Him in His Word. We spend time with him in his church. We spend time with him in prayer. That's how we know him. But I don't know what God's will is for my life. I can promise you three things that God wants you to do. Read your Bible, pray, and be in church. That's God's will in a nutshell for every single believer. And he wants us to tell others about him. So if you don't know what God's will is for your life, there's four things you can do right now to be in the center of God's will. Read your Bible, pray, be in church, tell others about Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What things? You know, we worry about clothing, we worry about food, we worry about, you know, how we're going to manage that, pay the bills, and... but the Lord said, if you seek me first... I'll take care of that. He's not saying that we seek the Lord and then we don't have to go to work because he's just going to pay for everything. That's not what he's saying. But when we put the spiritual, when we put priority on spiritual things, the Lord has a way of taking care of the physical things. But it's all a matter of priorities. And it depends where our priorities are. You know, most people go through lives pleasing themselves and doing what they want without even thinking about the Lord. and there's great satisfaction. Do you know what? I'll be honest with you. Before becoming a Christian, um, my life was awesome. You know, my life wasn't kind of falling apart in regards to, like I came to a point where there was nowhere else to turn and I had to turn to the Lord. You know, I had a good job as as a youngster. You know, I kind of was doing what I wanted to do and, living my life, thinking it was absolutely perfect. But when I came to know the Lord, I recognized that everything that was important to me was actually destroying my life. I've never once looked back and thought, if only I knew the Lord later. I've always prayed, why didn't I come to know you before I made all those mistakes? before I went through all those difficulties. And I love serving the Lord. I love being in church. I love being with God's people. I love fellowshipping. I love learning more. But what does it mean to be surrendered to Him? It just means to... He comes from uh, two French words, sur, which means over, and rendre, which means to deliver or to give. Surrender means to literally give up or turn over. Surrender literally means, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want to do with my life, it's yours. Wherever you want me to go with my life, it's yours. Whatever direction you want me to go in, it's yours. Whatever decision you want me to make, it's yours. And we kind of like to say that we're surrendered to the Lord. But if we really looked at our lives... Are we surrendered to the Lord, or is our life a contradiction? You say you love the Lord, you say you know the Lord, but do we show that by our actions? Are we where we're meant to be when we're meant to be there? The Lord said to Gog, "I'm going to bless you with four generations." We know that the Lord could have said, Jehu, if you walk with me with all your heart, then as David, your generation could stay upon that throne. Because he promised Jeroboam that the kingdom in the north could have been just as successful as the kingdom in the south. But Jehu wasn't willing to take that step. Because his life was a contradiction. And then we see the devastation of Israel finally. Finally. In verse 32, it says, In those days the Lord began to cut Israel short. The lukewarmness and the apathy of Jehu leads to great loss. He lost peace in his own life and in the kingdom. He lost prosperity uh, by being the king. He lost portions of the kingdom. In those days, the Lord began to cut Israel short and Hazael smote them in the coast of Israel. They lost the most valuable parts of their kingdom. The Gadites and the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh that stayed on the other side of Jordan, which was the most fertile area and prosperous area, they lost it completely because of Jehu's apathy, and half-heartedness to the Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to bless your kingdom. And you said, no, I'm going to do things my way. So the Lord said, okay, have it you away then. Here's judgment. Proverbs says, thirty four says, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. God cut the kingdom short. God defeated Israel by using Hazael. They lost Gilead, the two and a half tribes east of the Jordan River. And it's interesting, and, or ironic I should say, that Jehu kept the calves in Israel because he didn't want to lose people to the south. And yet because he kept those calves in Israel, he lost all the people to the east. Can I say this? God can take what he wants. You lose by holding, and gain by giving. I've told this story before, but it is a story that stands out in my mind and was such a a, a conviction by the Lord. When, um, after a, a, a period of backsliding in my life and going back to church, really wanted to do everything that pleased the Lord, and Joe and I had prayed long and hard, um, about tithing, and I, my attitude was, well, you can't really afford to do it, and Joe's attitude was always, well, we can't afford not to do it. It's one thing in the Bible that God says to test him on, so um, I was like, right, okay, we haven't really got this money to tithe, we have got a young family, um, Eve had only just been born, and I was like, right, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll try tithe in. So, the one month, um, I forgot to put my tithe in, and it was coming towards the end of the month, and I thought, well, there's no point in putting my tithe in now. I'll just put it in next month. I'm not going to double up. I'll just put this month's tithe in next month's offering. It's the last week of the month. Who's going to know? God knew. So he said, okay, if you're going to hoard, then I'm going to break your washing machine. He broke the washing machine And when I got somebody to come out to replace it, it was the exact penny that our tithe was. To the exact penny. I was like, okay, Lord, I won't miss a tithe again. When we hoard, God's not going to bless. When we give, and that's not just money. Money. That's our time, you know, we talk about, oh, you should give 10% of your money, to, not to the church, the church, you know, the Lord doesn't need it, but it, the Lord has asked us to give. Oh, you've got to give a tithe, you've got to give 10%, what about a 10% of our time? Do we tithe our time to the Lord? Do we give Him 10% of 24 hours? Or do we just kind of rush quickly in the morning to get through our Bible reading, you know, tick it off on the, on the Version app, so all the, the people that follow us on Version can say, oh, they've done their devotion well done. Or do we really sit down to talk to the Lord, to pray to the Lord, to see what the Lord has to say to us? We lose a lot when we hold back from the Lord. Like Jehu, we lose when we reject God's way. You know, you might think you know what you're doing because you don't need to come to church. Can I just say this to you? God knows what he's doing. And he's put the church here for a reason. Ah, but I can worship the Lord in my living room. Christ didn't die on the cross for your living room. Yeah, but the church is only, you know, the the building is not the church. The church is the, the universal body of Christ. And I can gather together with the Lord in my living room. Yeah, that's right. But he still called us an ecclesia, a called out local assembly or gathering. And we're meant to be together, as a church, as a called-out assembly. When we think we know what we are doing, be careful. Because we are then putting ourselves in a position higher than God. Well, I don't need to go to church today. I can watch it on Facebook. Sometimes I wish we didn't have Facebook Because then it would kind of encourage people to come to church. But I recognize that there are people um, across the world that watch us every week. Um, Peggy from South Africa, I don't think has ever missed a service. And, uh, you know, it's been a blessing to get to know her over the years. But then it kind of causes us to think, "Ah, I'll just watch it in my pajamas. I'll watch it in the living room. And I don't know, maybe people who are not here who are a part of this assembly don't even watch us on Facebook anymore or YouTube, or Sermon Audio. I don't know. When people are not here, I don't know what issues they are dealing with. Oh yeah, but you should call them, and you should go to them, and you should... They know where I am every Sunday. They can come to church. Christ didn't die for the living room. Christ died for the church. For the local, called out assembly of his people. Trouble and turmoil would never have happened in Jehu's life if he'd simply done what the Lord told him to do. A lot of trouble comes our way because we simply are not obedient to the Lord's word. I, I can't remember where I read it. I don't even know if I might even have it in tonight's message. I'm saying something I'm going to say tonight, but... I think it was Mark Twain that said it wasn't the difficult parts of the Bible that he struggled with. It was the parts of the Bible that he clearly understood that he struggled with. The Bible clearly says if you want to serve the Lord, read your Bible. If you want to serve the Lord, pray. If you want to serve the Lord, be in church. If you want to serve the Lord, be a witness. If you want to serve the Lord, be a testimony. If you want to serve the Lord, tell somebody about Christ. If you want to serve the Lord, live a life that's pleasing to him not a life that's pleasing to you. Because our accolades and our achievements will count for nothing when we stand before the great white when we, when we stand before the beamer seat of Christ. Our achievements and accolades in this life will mean nothing. But what we've done for him will mean everything. Uh, Pastor Ed always quotes, I think it's, um, I'm not sure if it's CT Stead, Uh, Or G. Campbell Morgan who said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that's right. Only what we do for the Lord Jesus Christ will remain for eternity. Our achievements in this world will not last. A millisecond after we get for glory. Only what we do for him. Do not be a contradiction, Father. We thank you for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around you a word, Lord. And we just prayed you would speak to our hearts, Lord. I know that we fail you in so many ways and so many times in our lives, Lord. And Father, just come before your throne of grace today and ask for your forgiveness, Lord. Help us to be the believers that we need to be, that we have to be. Help us to recognize the importance of these areas in our lives, Lord. Help us to be where we need to be. Help us to do what we need to do. Help us to surrender our lives to you. To give up what's important to us and to do what's important to you. And Father, I pray you give us the strength to do that. Lord, we just want to say that we love you so much. We do not want to be a contradiction. We don't want to act one way on a Sunday and act completely different for the rest of the week. We don't want to tell people that we go to church and then them look at our lives confused because what we say doesn't match up with what we do. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us just to be people who love you, who serve you, who are a testimony and a witness for you. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together. Jamie closes in a